Spooks with Denzel Myrick and Douglas Skelton. And welcome to another thrilling edition of Spooks. Spooks, the podcast for everybody. And don't forget to subscribe with your podcaster of choice. And we are on them all. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Republic, you name it, as well as being an anchor FM. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Douglas Skelton. How are you doing, Denzel? Did you say good evening? I said, how are you doing? I thought you said good evening. Well, okay, mm. good evening. It could be evening for somebody who's listening. You know, you don't know when people are listening. Could or where, indeed. Or where, yeah. Could be good day. No, 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 please don't try any impersonations. No, Apart don't. from Five Robertson, who you're particularly good that, at. That wasn't... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Looks good, tastes good, and by God, it does you good. Do you remember the Mackison ads? Maybe you don't. I'm probably no. I'm I'm much too young. Yeah, I barely remember ads for Smash. But for the for the younger people uh, like Denzel, Fife Robertson was a he was a TV journalist uh, and presenter, and he used to uh, present these these ads for Mackison's beer, and uh, he ended with and he would he would be in a bar, for instance, and he'd take a sip of this beer, and then he'd put it down and he'd say, "Looks good." Tastes good and by God, it does you good. That was the days you could do things like that in advertising. Well, that that certainly is an interesting way to start the show. Douglas doing an impersonation. <laughs> oh no, no, we're not doing that. Not until next week. Well, last anyway, week we had you doing Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Did I? Well, yep. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, we did. Now, today, before we introduce our guest, who is another stellar one, multi-award winning crime writer, uh, and now there's a slight change, I must inform you, listener, today, in that when this interview was due to be recorded, I was sadly unavailable due to circumstances I'll tell you about later, but... Douglas conducted the interview by himself. I flew solo. And goodness knows. I mean, I know the guest is a great one, but as far as the interviewer, well, we'll leave that up to you. Interviewer's fabulous. We, I'm sure he was. Oh, the interviewer, sorry. Not so sure about that. Anyway, <laughs> before we get to that, let's get to... We're going to talk about live events a wee bit because yeah. we both kind of attended live events uh, this week, you last night were at the private launch, no less, of Graham McRae Burnett's new novel. Yeah, case studies. Um, so I mean, he's had uh, two or three launches. There was the public one on Wednesday night, uh, but I was at the, the 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 private one last night in Waterstones and Silky Hall Street, and it was it was interesting. It was good to be back out there uh, at a book event because I'd already been. Um, when I chaired a, a panel at Bloody Scotland, but this was a launch, and I think this is this is Waterson starting to to open up again after, you know, the, the utter hell that was twenty twenty, and uh, most of this year. So it was good to get back there. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I was not at the private launch because I was busy doing other things as you usual. You were busy, oh, busy man. I'm a busy, busy man. However, I'm, sure, I'm glad I'm glad you had a great night, and it's really nice to see the bookshops and festivals opening up again. Because I often get asked this question on social media, in that I don't think a lot of people know how much time authors spend traveling and attending book signings, festivals, media events, whatever it is, um, all you know, all book related, um, and that's why I've had more time to write in the last eighteen months because. I've not been heading off to a plane or a train or automobile somewhere remote or remote from me to go and do something. But you do miss it, don't you, Douglas? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the most gregarious of, of people as, as no. those who know me know, know well, but I do enjoy uh, performing. 
and uh, I do enjoy going to book events. And um, it, it's it's good to see that this is coming back on on stream. But you you did one um, on Wednesday that that was that was unusual for you, wasn't didn't you? I did. It was a hybrid event for Northumbria Libraries, um, and so there was a there was a crowd in a hall or one of the library halls or whatever it was, and there was also an online audience. And so it was very interesting from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Because you had questions coming in from people who are watching online, and pe- questions coming in from people who are on in the, you know, in the hall, and it was it was it was the first hybrid event I've ever done, and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. it though it still doesn't beat being there in person, obviously. But, and you know, I know you like to perform, and we get that. It's just as well that somebody enjoys your performances. Yeah, I think show off is the is the is the proper term for it. Not necessarily the term I'd have used, but we can't speak like that on this Spooks podcast. But definitely, I think that writers, um, I'm not sure if, if readers understand or re- realise the amount of, of chugging about we do in a year. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're, you you also chair, chair events. I don't do much of that at all. And, you know, so you're doing it doubly over. You're doing it for your own books and your own work and also introducing and hosting events for the work of others yeah yeah i've done i have done a fair bit of that in the past including your good self include and when we come when it comes to private launches what could be better than a launch in south end and kintyre oh yeah you were there yes you were there drunk as a lord that's me. Yep. I saw you capering about oh yeah some oh yes i i do find that's the best way to cope with you is is to have a good few belts beforehand. Well, it wasn't just me and you; it was Malky Maloney. I know. Well, he's the same. You know, I've got I've got to build myself up to dealing with Malky Maloney. Malky is 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 some machine, you know. Sandra There's Island some, was there as well. Sandra Allen was there too. Also, a very a very good. Have you, as, you know, I recommend both of their books to you. Michael Maloney is really Malky Maloney. Michael J Maloney, in fact, and Sandra Island. And if you get a chance read their books because they're very very good indeed now without further ado we shall get to our smashing guest only a couple of nights ago douglas interviewed him douglas Mm -hmm. yes and it's interesting and you know i've I've introduced i've interviewed um this particular guest uh, a couple of times before he's one of the nicest guys in the industry i've got to say that because it's true and I'm delighted to welcome to Spooks the best-selling author, Craig Russell. Craig, welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for asking me on. No, not at all. Thanks Thanks for coming on. Uh, that's the nice part out of the way. So, <laughs> so you, you're, you know, let's, let's go right in. Uh, the latest one, Hyde, um, which is... I was going to say it's a kind of departure for you, but it's not really, is it? Um, Tell us about Hyde. Well, I know what you mean about it it not being totally a departure because, um, I mean, we're all very much interested in in dark psychologies, but what has uh, always interested me is, is, you know, split identities uh, and, you know, a sense of identity. So obviously, um, you know, we do, we're bang on a bit about uh, uh, Caledonian anti-syzygy, but I think it's, I think it's very much a thing, you know, that uh, the Scots have this, this ability to hold completely contrary two completely contrary uh, points of view or ideas or concepts in the head at the same time without any kind of cognitive dissonance. And of course, that was the inspiration uh, for Stevenson writing Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, and, you know, it, it's, you know, his, his uh, novella was set in London, but I, uh, you know, I've always said it's the most Scottish uh, story you can you can read. Um, you know, obviously going back to 
Deacon Brodie in Edinburgh and uh, the split identity of, of Edinburgh as a, uh, as a city. And at that time, at the height of the British Empire, this sort of split identity Scots had, you know, you know, where we where we Celts, where we where we Scots, or or where we British, where we North British, and you know, uh, part of this this large enterprise, the British Empire. Uh, so that to me was a great scene to tap into, mm-hmm. and what I what I I, I thought I want to I want to to re-examine all of these elements, so all of these things that Stevenson, you know, inspired Stevenson. I wanted to, you know, the concept of Jekyll and Hyde is such a such a huge concept um, and such an easily graspable uh, concept that you know you you find it amazing that uh, everybody everybody understands the concept of. Jekyll and Hyde, but comparatively few people have actually read the the novella. Uh, so what I wanted to do was to revisit all of these themes um, and tie it up in a in a in a mystery novel, uh, which uh, ex- you know explored the duality of, if you like, a man's identity at that time and a nation's identity at the same time. Um, and it, it, there was, um, it, I think part of it came from, uh, I read about w- William Henley, who was uh, um, a friend of Stevenson's and he was this big burly, ebullient guy with curling red hair and a bushy beard. Uh, who had lost uh, the, the lower half of one of his legs to tuberculosis as a child. And Stevenson openly acknowledged that he was the inspiration for Long John Silver. Mm. And I just, I just thought, now what if Stevenson had had a friend who had inspired Hyde or the, the dual characters of, of Jekyll and Hyde? Mm. And as soon as that sort of, sank in that was it the book was off I mean you know yourself that sometimes the concept you'll struggle to give the concept form you know it's it's just clay and you're trying to get it into the right shape and other times it just uh, you know falls into place uh, almost fully formed so that's that's um, that's what it was like with Hyde so the story of, of Hyde is that uh, Captain Edward Henry Hyde is uh, superintendent of uh, detective officers in the city of Glasgow Police uh, in the, the late 19th century. Uh, and he is, he is a good man. That's one of the things that, that uh, is apparent about him is that he is a, a very a very, a very good man, a man committed to doing the right thing, um, and you know, very sensitive to uh, you know the suffering of others, all that kind of thing. But his physical presence, there's something about his the way he looks, his form that is quite intimidating, and you know, causes people to to take a bit uh, a step back. Um, and on top of that, he has a, a form, some kind of complaint, neurological complaint that is obviously epileptic in, in origin where he loses time. Um, and as a result of that, he, you know, he, he has these absent seizures where he doesn't know where he's been or what he's done. Um, and obviously that 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 drives the story, particularly when at the opening he finds himself at the scene of a murder that he will ultimately investigate. Uh, but he he discovers uh, the the body and he has no idea how he got there. Uh, so so that's 
that's hide in an incredibly large nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, very, it's a thrilling read, that's the thing. But just a wee, a one quick correction, it's the city of Edinburgh police he was in, you know, I, you know, just to keep you right there. Uh, what did I say? What did Glasgow? So, oh no, 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 it's <laughs> so, all right. I'll keep you right. About your book. <laughs> oh, good grief! So, I mean, the, the, you yes, know, the... uh, yes, I, I researched this book very thoroughly. <laughs> yes, where was it? Yeah, <laughs> no, so, that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's all, that's, it is that's... all about the dark side. And as I said, yeah, but... you know, it's, it, it, it's a departure in a way, but it's not because there is a link. Um, to you know, thematically and stylistically, to the devil aspect as well. Uh, I, I would say I thought there was anyway. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so no, I, I mean, think... to the dark side there, and the you know the the penetrating the psyche was certainly there in the devil aspect as well as as Hyde. Yes, yeah, and I think, you know, there are links to other things I've written uh, in, you know, it is so very, very different from um, the Lennox series of yes. novels. Yes. Uh, but in a way, you know, it's, it's exploring a, a, a similar, similar territory where uh, both Lennox and Hyde are uh, damaged men and they, they've been damaged by you know their military experience um mm -hmm. so that there is a, an element of the returned man about them both yeah so i mean it, <clears throat> excuse me you, you're you seem to be fascinated by the dark side as we all all are but is there anything you want to share craig <laughs> do, you, do you have a dark side yourself well, yeah, I think I do, to be honest. I think everybody does. Um, I mean, I, I think... Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I Sometimes I think it's... It, again, sometimes I think it's part of the, the Scottish character, the Scottish personality, you know, very much uh, a, conscious, a conscious will to be good, to do the right thing all the time. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's not just a Scottish thing, it's universal to, to people that, you know, you, you try to do the right thing all the time, but there is something <laughs> in you that wants to take that other route. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like exploring that. I really do like exploring um, not just people who let the dark side win, but also people whose life experiences has maybe directed them to one side or, or the other, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, uh, you know, again, going back to Lennox, some of my gangsters, um, I like to think would be entrepreneurs today you know it, but because of the environment in which they were they were uh brought up and uh the the burden of of the heavily class-based society etc they chose the, the the path of least resistance to um to trying to live a a, a fuller and more successful life and in, in doing so they, they took the the dark route so i think i think we, we're all capable of you know stepping off the the path and i think you know you me just about every writer in in this area likes to explore that stepping off the path um and in doing so, we're kind of doing it ourselves uh, vicariously. Yeah, yeah. For the benefit of any listeners who who, who might not be familiar with the work, I better explain. Lennox was your your, your private eye series set in Glasgow yes. in, in the the forties and into the fifties. Um, and you also have your Jan Fabel series, which is they were they're they're contemporary but set in Hamburg. 
That's right, yes. And you've written various standalones, including The Devil Aspect, um, which uh, none other than film director Frank Darabont says was a masterpiece Master, sorry, a master, master thief, a masterpiece, a master class, in fact, in suspenseful character-driven prose. Simply exceptional. How did you feel when you got that in? Well, <laughs> I almost, I almost, uh, I almost thought, right, if I get back in touch and say that's that's, uh, that's fantastic to get that praise from you, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a great admirer of your movies. Mm-hmm. I almost expected to get the reply, oh, actually, I'm not that Frank Darabont. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Darabont, Frank Govan, been a big fan of yours, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Russell, for yeah. years. <laughs> um, but no, I mean it was, uh, yeah, it, it was it was bizarre, and we we corresponded. Uh, you know, we had a, a discussion uh, backwards and forwards about about it, and you know, I was just I was just blown away that that. You know, the writer and director of the Green Mile thought my stuff was okay, um, but we had a we had uh, a, as I say, sort of discussion backwards and forwards, and I um, I- explained to him um, that you know I, I find it when it, when I finish a book when it's ready to go off, you know, as soon as I finished any kind of creative project. Um, I go through, you know, talking about split personality, I I usually think, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever written. This is brilliant. This is fantastic. No, it's not. It's crap. It's terrible. My God, what was I thinking? No, it's brilliant. No, it's crap. And you send it off and then you feel like sending an email saying, oh, no, 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 no. Send it back. Send it back. Sorry. Sorry. Send it back. No, I'll I'll, I'll read it. And I said, you know, it, it is. It's torture. And he said, I know what you mean. It's still like that for me. And you think, you know, what else, <laughs> what else does he have to prove? You know, but yeah. obviously, no matter what stage you're, you're at in your career, uh, because, um, because we, we, we shape things from our own, own thoughts, and it's a very solitary and very personal thing, you know, obviously, you, you go through that uh, through that angst, no matter where you are, you know, in the food chain. And um, I just found I just found it reassuring to. Yeah, I think we all, the, we all do that, don't we? We all go through it. It's, it's the imposter syndrome, as they call it. And I know that's now a cliche to call it that, but that's exactly what it is. We all feel um we have this this dual approach to our work and as you say that it's one minute we think it's wonderful and the next minute we think it's rubbish um yeah. and you know, generally somewhere in the middle is is true uh, certainly, certainly for denzel um who's not, who's not here so i can slag him i can slag him as much as i like so <laughs> um, but of course you know so frank darabont uh director of the Shawshank Redemption as well. But the de- the devil aspect was um, the film rights were, were picked up by Sony Pictures Columbia uh, quite early That's on, right. weren't they? They were. They, they actually, they actually uh, bought it from a manuscript. Um, and uh, I'm glad to say they've uh, just, re- it's in production, not in production, sorry, it's in development. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, They've just renewed or very recently renewed the option, so I'm I'm glad that that's moving moving forward. Uh, but no, it, it was it was great. Um, I have to say that uh, Hyde has all has also <laughs> this. Believe it or not, I was having just before we spoke, I was having a, a conversation with the, the screenwriter for Hyde. Hyde has also been bought, but. Until the project is greenlit, um, I'm not allowed to disclose the uh, the studio behind it, which is a it's a very different approach from uh, Sony uh, Columbia, who uh, put something out right away. But um, it's it's uh, that those were very strange experiences. Um, 
you know, where you you have something in your head that is is a book and you have created as as a novel, um, and then for someone to come along and and say, no, we we want to recreate this in a in a different form. Um, but uh, no, it's it's an interest. You know, it's a very mm. interesting process, and of course, there's 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 uh, development hell as well, which oh, yeah. is yeah. which every project goes through, and many never emerge from, and that's that's when something goes into uh, development right. for yeah. for yeah. years and years and years. Uh, well, of course, if I did, but, yeah, I did complication of twenty twenty happening as well, so. Um, it, these well, t- these things do take a while. Yes, yeah. Uh, no, twenty twenty. You know, the whole COVID thing had uh, a monumental effect on on Hollywood uh, mm-hmm. because uh, if if only <laughs> you know if only I had thought of a novel that took place on a space station with. Uh, <laughs> one with a single protagonist with a handheld camera i would have been sorted but yeah but no uh it, most of the studios uh, applied uh force majeure to projects they had uh in development and effectively froze them yeah uh for for six to eight months um so that's, no, that's that, understandable that, yeah, that's, that's yeah. understandable. But you're no stranger to having your books dramatised because five of the, the Jan Fabel novels uh, were filmed in Germany. Um, is that correct? That's five. It is five, isn't it? It is, yes, five. Uh, and they um, went out on the... Uh, it's ARD, which is the, the German equivalent of, of uh, BBC One, I suppose. Yeah. Uh and uh, no, they 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 were very successful. They they attracted uh, very substantial audiences. I'm glad to say. And you didn't mention. Uh, I have to say, you didn't mention that in one of them I appeared as Detective oh. Number Five. Yeah, I was just yeah. coming to that. I was going to say that you pulled an Alfred Hitchcock, <laughs> <laughs> which is not in it. Yeah, but nothing yeah, true in that way. But I, I didn't. Yeah. Know. I know that does sound like a euphemism. <laughs> Let's, you pulled a Colin Dexter then. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I. I um, it was. Uh, it, it's the weirdest. I've been on set a couple of times, uh, but you know, this was the first time I was actually participating in it. But um, I, I think you'll I think you'll get this. People find it strange that. One of the the freakiest uh, experiences for me was in the first movie. Um, I did, one of the characters works in this this bakery, and I had obviously made up the name of the bakery. You know, but when I say that, I mean a factory. You know, a bakery factory. Um, and uh, it was seeing on screen this. A large bakery with a, a made-up logo with the name that I had created and the logo on the vans and whatnot. It really freaked me out, you know. See, because it, again, that had only ever lived in my head, and to see it, uh, to see it uh, recreated was. I know it doesn't sound very dramatic, but you think, "Whoa, that's that's bizarre," you know. I just. You know, sat in my study and and am yeah. I going to call? Do you do you know what I mean? It's, I know what you're saying, but it's the same when you see your your you know your book in in print for the first time when you get those early copies and well, I'm, I'm speaking personally here when I pick it up and I life through it and you know all these words and I think well, they were just in my head uh, just a few short months ago, and now there they are. On, so it's the yeah. same idea that something that you have invented is there. It's now a, something physical that you, yeah. know, that you can hold in your hands, whether it's a, on a Kindle or, or in a book, whatever it is, it's still the same thing. There's a physical sensation that, that, that you've got there that's something you that was just nebulous, plucked out the ether, 
put onto our computer a few months later, there it is in your hand in book form. Yes, yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's when your interior, interior world goes out into the exterior world. It is, it is, it is really, really weird. But, you know, you said about imposter uh, syndrome being a cliche, but, you know, like most cliches, you know, it's, it's true, you know, it's a real thing. I think, you know, when, you know, this, this is my 15th book and I still, I still get that, you know, whenever I see a copy of the book, I think, nah. <laughs> or when, I, when I'm on a panel, if, if I'm at an event and I'm on a panel, you know, you sit there and you think, well, you know, these are real writers, <laughs> you know, someone's going to catch me, someone's going yeah. to, someone's going to cotton on that I'm just <laughs> having a laugh, you know. But, uh, the TV but, in uh, Germany. They, Sorry, on you go. No, you go on. No, I was, I, I, I just, it was, I have to say, one of the biggest disappointments of my career was my uh, appearance as detective number five. Um, I've always said that I personally believe it was the most important and pivotal 3.8 minutes of that movie. Uh but you know, opinion on that is is divided. You know, I think it was the most important and pivotal part of the movie, and everyone else thinks it was. <laughs> yeah. you so, so you 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 think that, <laughs> that that particular story was about Detective Number Five, was it Number yeah. Four? Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, number five. Oh gosh, no, number num number four was nobody. You know, God, no. <laughs> wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to be the, I wouldn't want to be detective number four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, uh, it, so you, you I mean TV in Germany, you've got you know the devil aspect and hide both options. Um, I, I'm not jealous whatsoever at all, <laughs> not envious at all. But I might as well sicken myself fully by going through your your other plaudits. You you won. You've won the Michael Vanney Prize for the Scottish Crime Book of the Year, not once, but twice, which I think is showing off. Um, and that's, you're the first author to, to, to do that. First time was 2015 for The, the Ghosts of Altona, uh, which is a Anne Fable book. And then just this year for Hyde, you won the 2008 CWA Dagger in the Library for the Jan Fable series. And <clears throat> this is where my, German's not going to be very good. You're the only non-German to be awarded. I'm telling you this as if you don't know it. So take notes. <laughs> uh, you're the only non-German to be awarded the highly prestigious. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Politzai, Politzai Stern. Yeah. That's it. That's it. By the, the Politzai themselves. Star. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's not German for police bail or anything like that. Is it? Is an actual award? <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I mean that's you know, I mean, you'd be the finalist in you know in the Wilbur Smith Adventure Writing and uh, 2017 uh, for the Michael Vanney Award and so many other things. Um, have you over have, have have you come to terms with the fact that you're a double Michael Vanney Award winner? No, it's it, you know it's um, no it's the, the simple answer to that it's. Uh, I mean, what what I what I said when uh, I, I was awarded the the twenty twenty one was if you, you look, it's you know, just a huge honour, you know, because there is such um, such a range of talent, you know, in, in Scottish crime writing now that uh, um, I couldn't. I, I, I tell you what, the proof that I really didn't believe I was going to win it can be seen. And I know you're going to look at this now. The photographs that were taken uh, when I was given the award, when I was coming up uh, you know, to the Albert Halls, uh, I had this split. I had to split. Do you ever ha have a shirt where the buttons, the, it's just not right. The top one's too high. Uh, and, you know, you, you look, if you button it up, you look like a pervert. If you, you don't, you've got, you know, this, this chest hair and whatnot. And I thought, oh, well, sod it. Uh, I'm going to 
I'm not going to win this, so it doesn't matter. I just wear this shirt. And I had this light black shirt, light colored uh, jacket. And I thought, no, it's, I'm not going to win it. So went up and I did win it. And the result is that the photographs of me winning the award looks like some 1990s nightclub owner <laughs> picking, <laughs> picking up, you know, best Sambuca sales, you know, 1995. Or, you know, I could imagine the headlines, Peter Stringfellow's dad picks up literary <laughs> award. <you know? laughs> so that, there's the proof that I really didn't, I really wasn't expecting to win. <laughs> Oh well, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't do flattery well, as you know, but it, it's, it was, it was a well-deserved win. Um, not so oh, sure sharp though. Uh, so, <laughs> so what, uh, what's, what's next? Are you going to return to Jan Fable and or Lennox? I would like to. I would like to eventually, uh, but I have another standalone, uh, which. Um, it has uh, already been uh, sold and uh, in states and the UK, and I'm uh, working away on that at the moment. Uh, and again, it's it's it has a, a hint of um, the gothic about it. It's uh, it's set in silent era Hollywood. And, oh. oh God, I'm loving it. I'm I, you know it's. You know what it's like with research. You know, if you get something, you can really get your teeth into, it. and it's just, it's uh, the the idea. The the book revolves around um, what is supposed to be the the greatest horror movie ever made, mm-hmm. um, which is now a lost film, um, and it's just, it's you know one of the things one of the many things about what we do that I that I love is that you can just immerse yourself completely in a different world, you know. And, and uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, an environment you think you know something about. And, you know, I actually thought I knew a lot about uh, that, that world, you know, film, uh, early film, but, you know, you then discover there's so much more going on that you didn't know about. Mm-hmm. So that's the next. That's the the next thing titled at the moment: "The Devil's Playground." Uh, well, you had me at Hollywood. <laughs> I knew I would. I knew I was. I knew I was uh, <laughs> preaching to the converted there, Douglas. Uh, I mean, is, is it written or are you just writing it just now? Or? I, I'm writing it just now. I'm nearly halfway through it. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, uh, just amazing and surprising. You know, some of the things that you find out uh, are just so unexpected. Um, you know, like the fact that Hollywood in uh the 1920s was actually a much fairer and much more open place than Hollywood in the 2020s. I mean, there were yeah. so many, so many women uh, involved in every aspect of filmmaking. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, female directors, uh, people in, you know, women in, in uh, positions of, of real power. Uh, but also, you know, there were um, studios making um, serious African-American movies and there were Afri- African-American studio heads and directors and writers. And it just seemed, I mean, having said that, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, an environment which had been pretty much poisoned by births of a nation you know but yeah. uh, notwithstanding there was uh, there was a, a much uh, better representation of minorities in in Hollywood back then than 
arguably there is now, and certainly women. Yeah. Just, uh, so just anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's a bit boring, but no, it's, no. it's just, mm. you know, it's, it's when you think you know, or when you have expectations of a world you're researching and then mm. you discover, oh no, this isn't, this isn't exactly, this isn't exactly what, uh, what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And just to explain, Birth of the Nation is 1915. It was made. Um, D. W. Griffith, and it's, it's you know it's deemed a it has been deemed a classic, but now being seen to be as, as, as a bit racist because it's actually about the birth of the Klan, um, the Ku Klux Klan. So it's uh... well, actually, the, the 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 problem with it, you see, the, the problem with it is it was. It was a masterpiece because mm. it technically it was a yes. masterpiece. Yes. Uh, D.W. Griffith, without getting into a lot of detail, his father had fought in the American Civil War on the Confederate side, and it was based on this myth of the noble South and the lost cause and that kind of thing. Uh, but what he did was uh, he recreated battle scenes, which was the on a scale that had never been done before. And, you know, the, this was at, you, you forget that at that time in 1915, there were still a lot of men alive who had fought, had taken part in the Civil War. Uh, and, you know, the stories of elderly men uh, sobbing in, in cinemas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, also the most repulsive piece of racist propaganda you would ever you would ever come across and it's you you know you talk about it being about the birth of the Ku Klux Klan the Ku Klux Klan had actually died out it had it had you know at the time the 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 movie was was being uh made the White League and the Ku Klux Klan had sort of faded into history and that movie brought brought it all back reinvigorated racism in in particularly in the south yeah i mean mean the film itself showed the birth of the of the clan that's right sorry yes yes yeah uh and it became if you like a a self-fulfilling prophecy because it it facilitated the rebirth uh, of of that and introduced uh, introduced uh, you know this racist racist tone that uh, hadn't you know there was still racism there were obviously there was racism but I can't remember where it was in Alabama there was a cinema in Alabama where uh, birth of uh, birth of a nation ran for eleven years nightly to packed houses. You know, it, it was just uh, a horrible, mm. a horrible piece of of work. But technically, one wonderful. way. But but uh, technically and creatively, yeah. you know. Uh, so, yeah. So it, you know, um, and of course, you know that Griffith tried to uh, do something to correct. Uh, because it was highly controversial even in its time, and you know there was intolerance came out. But mm-hmm. by the time intolerance came out, the movie everybody was becoming intolerant because we were, or the, America was moving towards involvement um, in the war, and you know it's uh, uh, it just it's just a very interesting time. Yeah. And you and I, I, I mean, <laughs> I know that you and I can have really good conversations about this because, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I, I just, you just two words, Lon Chaney, you know, once you, once yeah. you, you dip into that well, my God, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. The man of a thousand faces. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so when, can we, right. when can we expect to see this? So if you're just writing it, is it going to be for 2023 then? No, I'm, well, I'm hoping uh, we can get it out next year. But uh, 
that that is something I'm discussing with my uh, publishers on you know uh, because of what you know I want the US and the UK edition to be as simultaneous as, mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. I'm looking forward to that one already. That'll be great. Well, I think that's that's as far as we can go, Craig. Um, thank you very much for coming on. That was, um, it was fun. Uh, it's uh, Hyde, folks, if you haven't read it. It's an absolutely thrilling read. It's, it is dark. It is gothic. Set in Edinburgh, not Glasgow, as Craig seems to think. <laughs> okay. um, it'll be the other Craig Russell that thinks it's set in Edinburgh. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh. And well worth a read, I've got to say that. Craig, thanks very much for coming on to Spooks. Uh, it was brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Well, did Douglas make a good job of that interview? I'll leave it up to you, listeners, but I know that Craig Russell is fabulous. Douglas. Oh, he's, great. he's a great writer. He, he really is. I mean, it, yeah. the, the first book of his... No, I had read um, a couple of the Lennox books, and then I read The, the Ghosts of Altona. And that in particular just blew me away because it was just this mixture of crime, horror, and sort of this gothic feel, even although unlike Hyde, the Ghost of Altona is set in modern day Hamburg, you had this gothic feel about it. And he is such a good yeah. writer that everything just just came to life with it. And it was it was a real page turner. Yeah, he certainly is a very good writer. And the best of luck to him with his new book, Hyde which you can find all over the place, online, in shops, and on audio, I'm quite sure. Uh, now, what else are we going to talk about, Douglas? Well, you know, we had Shona McLean, S.G. McLean, on last week, and we created this week. Oh, oh, was that controversial? Was that <laughs> controversial? Who knew? Who knew this woman had such hidden depths? yes. And apparently she swears like a trooper. Yeah, so I saw that in Twitter. I saw that. Did you see that? Uh, Yeah. It was was amazing that she she didn't swear for all the 30 minutes or whatever it was. (laughs) But she was very, very good. Yeah, yeah. Shona is good. But, you know, she's a a popular, successful historical um, writer. Craig um, has, you know, does the historical stuff. As I say, the Jan Fabel ones in Hamburg are modern day, but Lennox was the 1940s, 1950s in Glasgow. The Devil Aspect um, was early 20th century. Hyde is the 19th century. So, you know, he is an historical um, writer. But it does seem to be a genre that's, that's growing and growing in popularity. And, I, I, you know, I do wonder why that is. What do you think? You're more uh, intellectual it, than me, Denzel. You'll have a I am. On this. I'm, clearly, I am. I would think that um, it's something to do with what we've been through in the last 18 months, however long it is since COVID emerged into our lives, like a wrecking ball. And it's it's like science fiction in a way. I think readers of science fiction have, have increased as well, reading of science fiction and mm-hmm. fantasy, mm-hmm. because people want to go to different places. They they don't want to be in, in the present where they are or they haven't wanted to be because things were so stressful and difficult. Of course, there were people who read novels about pandemics during the pandemic, which I found very strange. It's nothing I could do. Um, but, it, you know, that's the, that's the magic about art in any form. It would be a sad, sad place if we all liked and did the same things, wouldn't it? Everyone has different choices. That what's, that's what, what makes things magical whether you know some people like crime novels some people like fantasy novels some people like literary novels it's just it's a it's a brilliant ad mix isn't it Douglas yeah it is it is I mean that's what makes the world go round if we were all the same as we were talking about critics last week uh, if you remember and it's the same with them and we just have to remember as I said then people should use we were talking about film critics in particular but I think it, it applies to any uh, and as an author, I'm, you know, grateful for, for any good reviews that I get. But, Dude. you know, you have to remember that things can be filtered through the mind of, of the critic. And if, and if they don't if they particularly like the genre that, that you're writing in or making a film in or a TV programme or whatever, then 
their review will come from that place that they really don't like that to begin with. Um, yeah, so they just you know they've got likes and dislikes like the rest of us, but use them as a guide. I think these days a lot of people um, have an agenda when it comes to reviewing books, and their agenda is that they want to re- they try to pick something out of the book that they feel is um, either politically correct or not politically correct or whatever the current on vogue subject um, is. And they try to they look at the book or the film or the TV show or whatever through the prism of that that um, that subject um, or that interest or that that you know whatever. And it becomes not about the work itself, but it becomes about the perception of the work as viewed through something else or through through the prism of politics, through the prism of of gender um, equality, through the prism of whatever. Ever subject you want to, to bring up, and I think that can be problematic. Um, I I always think that reviewers would be best to stick to reviewing the book and the content, and bearing in mind, and also bearing in mind the audience, and trying to set aside their own subjective likes and dislikes, rather than and just review it as a in its for its own in its own right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but. It, it, they're human like the rest of us, and they have likes and dislikes, and it is going to come through. But not all reviewers have an agenda. Quite, quite a lot of no, them no, just, no. just you know, do approach the whatever it is, book, film, TV show, radio show, whatever, from the point of view is, is you know, did I enjoy this? Did I like this? Did it work? Did it achieve the aims? Whatever aims it has, uh, whether it's to to excite, to thrill, to entertain. Uh, to educate whatever it is that the piece is trying to do, did it do it? And a lot of reviewers do that. They do a good job. And also, like everywhere else, um, you know, the, the, their numbers are getting cut. Um, so the, the, they're being inundated with product, I think, to, to, to well, get you're remaining watch, in, you're meaning, or whatever. You're meaning in the newspapers are getting cut. They're not getting, certainly not getting cut everywhere else, where reviewers are they're popping up everywhere. Um, and certainly most, most reviewers are... Um, whether they be amateur or bloggers or whatever they are, um, uh, some of the digital online platforms that, that use re- reviews, that they've set up as review sites. Um, but however, I think there's a, there's a while most reviewers do a, do a very good job, there is a, a small minority of people who are reviewers who use their reviews to try and reflect their own intelligence or breadth of knowledge, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, while not necessarily understanding the work they're reviewing. Yeah, I think there can obviously be reviewers like that, because there's, although I'm saying they're cut, there's still a lot of reviewers. So you, it's 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 a wide pool, but I was talking about people, you know, professional reviewers, people who, who do it as yeah. a living, um, rather yeah. than, than bloggers, et cetera. Who, well, you still, I mean, even even out with newspapers, which we know are in sad decline, which is a great pity, yeah. uh, there are professional review sites now online that are flourishing yeah. with with paid journalists on them. Probably not paid very much, I would think, the way things no. are going, no. but certainly they're, they're there. And because uh, I see them all the time popping up in my time and in, in my feed on, on the phone, you know, so-and-so's review of the in such and such a website or whatever. So I think while newspapers, um, which we all lament, they're passing um, and they've not gone yet, but, well, the newspaper industry, is, as we all know, is a shadow of what it was, yeah. and you worked in it, and yeah. so you, you're well qualified to say, I mean, you know, talking, if you could think, take a rough, if, if you could treat this as a rough percentage, how, when you worked in the newspaper in, industry at its height compared to now, how would you view... Um, the decline. What would you say? There's, there's the percentage existing now of, of content and size of newspapers, and the, the the buying. You know, the purchase of newspapers as compared to to, to those days. Oh, it's, I mean, I, I can't put a figure on it, but it's it's vastly decreased. Staffing has vastly decreased. Resources mm. have vastly decreased. Uh, circulations have vastly decreased. Um, while online things have have boomed, you know, and, and I'm talking about the newspaper, the online newspaper sites. I mean, look at the the Daily Mail's online site and and how successful that is. And you know, others mm, have, yeah. have been quite maybe not quite as successful, but have have shown a success. 
So yeah, it has there has been a change. But the thing about reviewers is that it, it, it's as I said at the, the the start of this discussion, it's great to get a good review, and but it is the chance that we take in in sending the books out that somebody is not going to like it, um, and it's just the. It, you could call it the luck of the draw, whatever it is, but it is the chance we take. But as long as the criticism is is valid, um, that you know, I've I've got no issues with it. Uh, but you know, I've been very very lucky so far. I, what reviews I've had have been largely uh, positive. So apart from the ones that you've written, Denzel. Well, that's true. I'm not very lucky too. Various identities. Indeed, my sort puppetry. <laughs> No, I don't do something probably, but there are no writers that do. But, um, you know, I've been very lucky with the reviews as well, but I have had one or two. Not, I'm, I'm quite happy for people not to like the books. I'm, I, I, you know, that doesn't worry me at all, but it's when they have an agenda. And I remember, I think it was Well of the Winds, one of the, the fifth daily novel, and one reviewer took three or four paragraphs which featured a very minor character and she only reviewed those those few paragraphs, and it was, you know, used on the basis of something that was obviously she was she was very keen on, and you know I couldn't understand it at all. She didn't talk about the rest of the book. She didn't talk about anything really apart from that those three, three or four paragraphs that she felt were, um, you know, I'd treated this character in a way that wasn't. And it was, it was, you know, there was nothing in it. It was, a, it was, and this, and we're talking about historical novels. This was a flashback to 1945. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a woman whose husband had, had died and she was having to seek um, help elsewhere. Uh, and for some reason she thought this was, this was, um, wasn't right. And I'd really take exception to that because that's not reviewing a book. That's reflecting your own ideas and your, your own, um, your own moral compass, if you like, not even if you can call it that, and it through through a work, you're not advancing the cause of the author or 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 helping the reader into choosing that book or not choosing it. What you're doing is trying to create a platform for yourself via a review, and that that's what I dislike. Yeah, but that is going to happen, and there's 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 absolutely nothing we can do about it. It is going to happen. That's the it's the nature of the beast um, that. We take the chance. That's all it is. We send it out there. You know, if we're lucky enough to get a review in a newspaper, and as you know, it's getting more and more difficult to to get that. Then we just have to take the knocks and take the lumps. Nothing we can do about it. Well, it's for you. I mean, I get loads of reviews in newspapers. What's wrong with you, man? What? what eh? Your microphone doesn't work properly, and. What is this? Well, this was, mi- this was the microphone that you urged me to buy. You clearly haven't set it up properly, Scaldal. How do you not set up a microphone? You plug the USB into the computer. And that's it. No, and no, it's, make got, sure it's got controls. Make... It's got gain and it's got all sorts of things on it. Well, you, you're that you're saying to me, how can you not? We've discussed this in this series of podcasts already. You being the man who trying to drive my autic automatic car changing gears with a hairbrush <laughs> come on yes what's this all about and well, i managed and i did it <laughs> you did it was amazing how the hairbrush changed the gears in the way that it did i i think it's probably you probably look at the best mercedes now and they've all got the hairbrushes in them yeah i think they should yeah i can just see them all chopping on jeremy clarkson go and hey, look at this hairbrush gear stick the best gear stick in the world. That's that's an impersonation. Not your five Roberts. No, I'm glad you told me. That's fine. What told you what about your microphone? No, no, that that was an, an impersonation. I see. Did you just think it was me? I, you know, I, I just Je- thought it was you. Yeah. Jezza and I. Yeah. Have do have a very similar delivery. We've never seen you in the same room. You've never seen us at the same room at the one time. That's no. absolutely true. Or the same farm come to that. No. It has to be said. <laughs> anyway, on that controversial note regarding reviewers and Douglas's reviews, and there are many of them, um, look them up, especially that one from, uh, oh, no, no, I'll not mention 
Uh, look them up and buy his books, all of all of which are fantastic. He's a Douglas. Douglas I'm always trying to convert people to you in, on social media. You know that, don't you? Yes, I do know that. I do see that. And without without fail, everybody that reads your books come back to me and say, wow, that was really good. I'm so glad you recommended Douglas Skelton to me. And, and, that's, and that's another thing about publishing. It's a matter of, of um, visibility. Mm-hmm. And if you're not visible or not as visible, people won't buy, you, you know, you won't buy what you don't know about. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where our promotion and marketing and advertising are so important. Yeah. Um, but that's a subject for another day. Yes, yes, we should talk about that. That would be interesting. It certainly would. And you can see people's eyes just glazing over yeah. as you said that there. Anyway, that's it for today's spooks. Now, don't forget to uh, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. You can find us all over the place. And Douglas, it's goodbye from me. Yep, and it's it's goodbye from me. I almost did a this, tour on his there, and I thought, no, I'm not doing that. No, you would. That would be have been very crass. Yes. This has been a Houses of Steel production in association with Anchor FM. Thank you.